looking at life after death. This is part two of the series, and I want to teach on the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And out of this parable, we are going to learn several things about what happens after we die. If you can turn to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. It is a long read, um, but I want you to bear with us. Now, this parable was given by the Lord on the backdrop of his teaching about money and how we are supposed to use money in this life. And the Bible says that the Pharisees who loved money and justified themselves derided the Lord or looked to him with scorn and scorned him about his teaching about money because he was saying that you should use money in a way that when you die, what you have done puts you in a better standing with God. In other words, use your money to help the poor, use your money to, to, to feed people, use your money in a way that promotes the will and purposes of God. So when they derided him and scorned him, these very materialistic religious people, when they derided the Lord and scorned him about his teachings concerning money, he then taught them this parable. And this is a unique parable because I believe and most scholars believe it is more than just a parable, but it is actually an event that took place in the lives of two individuals. So let's read from verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. In other words, he really lived the good life. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Look at the contrast. The rich man was dressed in modern-day designer clothes and very expensive clothing and ate very well. And this poor man was dressed with sores. Sores covered his body, not fine clothing. And he says that the, the poor man, Lazarus, desiring, it was laid at his gate, the rich man's gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. The inference is that he never got any. The rich man never helped him out. Now, the rich man saw him every time he left his house because he was there. He had no compassion on him. He probably had the doctrine that many Christians have today, which is this. People, you shouldn't just give out money to people who are begging because you don't know some of them are going to use it for this, that, or the other. Or the doctrine which says this. Well, you know, there's not nothing for nothing. You know, there's a reason why that man is poor. He probably deserves to be in that condition. So unless the, the Lord God Almighty, the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac tell me, I'm not giving him anything. Good for you. You keep on doing that. You'll see what will happen. Let's carry on. Verse 22. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is a term that refers to paradise. It speaks of the reality that Abraham embraced him. He came to where Abraham was. Now, let me just be clear. This man went to Abraham's bosom not because he was poor. And we'll look at that later on. Not because he was poor. 
the rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23, and being in torments in Hades, the New King James Version says, and the Old King James says, in hell, in hell, or in Hades, which is the correct rendering, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And that was leaning on Abraham. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf. I think I'm a bit loud. Am I a bit loud? Okay, fine. Sounds loud here. There is a great gulf fixed so that those of you who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, that is the rich man said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them. In other words, he may declare to them what goes on after you die. Lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, Abraham said to him, They, your five brothers, they have Moses and the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No father, no father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he, Abraham, said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I want to give you eight different um, outlines about what took place and some lessons we can learn about it. Now, this particular event took place before our Lord Jesus Christ died and resurrected from the grave. And uh, we've already said some things about what happens when we die? We've already touched on that. I encourage you, if you're interested, to get the teachings we did last week. But let's go over a few things from this um, parable. The first thing is, number one, two lives at two extremes. In verses 19 to 21, we see there is a rich man who, sim simply put, seems to have had a silver spoon in his mouth from the day he was born. At a great advantage. And then you have Lazarus who seemed to be a nobody. Now, one was righteous and the other was unrighteous. How do we know that one was righteous and the other was unrighteous? Because one ended up in paradise and the other one ended up in Hades and in torments. So we know that the righteous one ended up in paradise and we'll touch on that a little bit more and prove to you why he was righteous. But even though he was righteous, he was a very destitute righteous man. A very poor righteous man. A very poor, in modern day language, Christian. A Christian who obviously has not got the revelation of prosperity. <laughs> Now they were both Jewish, and so they both were children of Abraham in that sense. In, they inherited Abraham's, um, Abraham's um, 
lineage, so they were from Abraham, but one of them was righteous and one of them was unrighteous. And we know from 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 that the unrighteous, in fact, let's read it. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, I am reading the Bible, and he says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, and the list goes on, etc., etc., shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. And if you read later on, he says to the Corinthian saints, and such were some of you. In other words, some of you were fornicators, were adulterers, were homosexuals, were sodomites, were idolaters, etc. Some of you were thieves, some of you were violent, and so forth. But he says, such were some of you, but you have been sanctified, you have been justified by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the point is, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Beloved, do not allow any doctrine to teach you that you can live a lifestyle that contradicts the word of God and that because you said one day Jesus come into my life, everything will be okay in the end and you will make it. The proof of grace active in your life is your righteous works of faith. That's the proof. Second point I want you to notice is this, that both the rich man and Lazarus had the same appointment with destiny. And that destiny is death. When you are young, death seems very far away, although death does come to the young. But as you get older, you begin to realize, hey, my number is coming up. The hour draweth nearer than it was. Yeah. Everybody has an appointment with destiny, death, except the last generation that the Lord returns for when he comes to execute justice on the earth and set up his kingdom for at least a thousand years. But other than that, everyone, everyone will go through the fire. Everyone will face death in the end and none of us are going to escape before our time and be raptured away in secret. Nobody sees and we escape what's coming. Watch and see. I will prove to you one day when we're all here and the beast is established and we are all hiding and fighting and praying and seeking. You say, Joe, you were right. I was wrong. I repent. I say, amen. Let's fight together. Yeah. It's not gonna, we're not going to escape things, beloved. This escape theology that is so prevalent. And I, beloved, I know what I'm talking about. I know what the scriptures say and so forth that Christians hide behind and live a lifestyle hoping that in the end, you know what, we're going to be raptured out, so it doesn't matter anyway. The rapture will happen, the rapture will occur, and Jesus will return, and when it occurs, the whole world will know it's occurred, but not the way most Christians think it will be, especially um, Western-oriented Christians. Anyway, both had the same appointment with destiny. They died. Fourth point. Both were conscious after death and had memories of their life on earth. Both were conscious after death and had memories of their life on earth. Remember, the rich man referred to his five brothers that were coming to join him. Now, he wasn't prophesying. He just knew by deduction the way they were living they were living just like him. He was probably the elder brother who has set the standard. This is how you live. This is how you experience prosperity. This is how you enjoy. This is how you invest. And so he knew they were coming because this is how he lived. Yeah. 
<laughs> now, the thing I want you to notice about the rich man's crime was that his torment was such that somehow in the place of torment, there was some part of the torment was that there was a bowl there with a sponge that was soaked with water and uh, just to ease his distress, he wanted a drop. I don't know if you've ever been thirsty, but to me a drop will be torturous, not refreshing. A drop, then keep your drink, man. But the guy in torment saw that drop was enough to quench his thirst. Very interesting. Many years ago, I had a vision. And in my vision, I saw, I, I, I role play at times in my visions, like I will play a role that looks like I'm doing this, but actually it's a revelation. I've had some very powerful ones. But this particular vision I had, I was a single man who had his own one-bedroom flat, had his computer games, and was watching these naughty films from time to time after a hard day's work. This, was a, this ain't my life, by the way. This was a, a vision. Now, then the vision changed, and I saw myself in the queue in a realm, and I knew it was Hades. And as the queue was getting closer, I noticed that people were being put in cells, but these cells were cells of tremendous torment. This particular place, intuitively, my vision, I knew that this was the lighter part of hell, the Hades, the realm. In other words, there were worse torments below. And so I was being allowed to see a very light torment. But the torment looked like this. In the cell, it was completely empty, and um, the floor was like kind of golden, yellowish, molten, red hot. And you, all you had was your briefs. I guess that was some ref, uh, relief. And then you were shoved in. The angels would grab you and shove you into this cell. And basically, you, 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 you would be like doing this and trying to grab the um, cell bars, and then it would burn you so you couldn't. So and that was, your, that was your torment. That was the, the nice part of hell. But I was in the queue, and it was getting to me, and I was saying, no, 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 I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah, I remember. I, I said, no, this is Joseph. I'm not supposed to be here. And as he got closer, I kept saying, no, I'm not supposed to be here. Lord, I'm not supposed to be here. No, I'm not supposed to be here. And then he reached my turn. And I said, I am not supposed to be here. And then a hand reached out from heaven, pulled me out, and then I woke up. I said, what was that about? And the Spirit of God said, there are three things I want you to know from this. One is a warning to you about your life. That if you live a compromised life, you're going to end up there. Two, I want you to know, I've allowed you to, sh I've showed you what somebody is going through right now. This is somebody's reality now. And the third thing is warn my people. Because many of them are coming here. And they don't even know it. Warn them. So I've warned you. Let's move on. <clears throat> the fourth point. There was a gulf fixed between the abode of both men, making it impossible for them to cross to each other. Verse 26, Abraham tells him, I, Lazarus cannot come to you because there is this gulf. Beloved, once you die, there is a great insurmountable gulf that exists between you and those who are in Hades, who are in torment, sorry. If you are in 
with the Lord when you die and those who are in torments when they die, there is no chance of that bridge being bridged, that gulf being bridged. There's no chance. That is very important. Sometimes we looked at what some people believe after, after death. One of the teachings of um, the Roman Catholic Church is purgatory. And that in purgatory, those people who loved God, but when they were on earth, they didn't quite do well. They weren't really living a good life. Purgatory is the second chance you get so that you can earn your way back to heaven. Hopefully the saints that are on earth, the, the believers that are praying for you can assist you. And also, if they're giving some money to the church, it also helps you um, and so forth. Beloved, none of that is here. Once you're dead, it's done. It's done. Yeah. Number six, our actions in this life cannot be undone once we die. There's another point I want you to know. Because you see, the rich man thought that by sending Lazarus, it could undo something he had done. But it couldn't because it was too late. Too late. I remember another vision. I had another vision. I had a, a cousin of mine. We all grew up together. She got saved. I got saved independently. She was going to KT, a good church, Kensington Temple. And uh, she was really in love with Jesus for a while. But somehow, one day, she became offended by something. Not, not in the church. I'm, I don't think it was to do with the church at all. She got offended. Then she became bitter. And in her bitterness, she refused to talk to anybody. One day, her own brother, who was an, is also a cousin, was trying to talk to her. She cut him off. One day, I called her because her brother spoke to me. I said, her name was Oti. I said, Oti, or Paulina, the English one. I said, Oti, what's going on? And she just cast me and put the phone down on me. I said, wow. Now, I was a pastor. So I thought that would give me some leverage, you know. Bitterness knows no rank. <laughs> yeah, when a person is bitter, they don't care. They can be very bold. And she was. She told me exactly what she thought. Put the phone down. I tried to call her, cut it off. From that point, I never heard from her again. One day, her brother, who hadn't seen her for quite a few months, decided to visit her. When he visited her, she was dead. She had been dead for quite a while, rotten, and uh, she had died of some kind of heart attack or something. But then I had the vision. And in my vision, I heard her in a very dark place, wailing. And all she was saying was, oh, O.T., oh, O.T. And that was her torment. T tremendous pain, but no respite in utter darkness. She was a believer, but she's in that place. I know she's there, sadly. It was not a vision that I wanted to see. You know, sometimes you, you, you want to see nice visions. Uh, isn't it? You know, they were in heaven rejoicing. I didn't see that darkness. So your actions on this life cannot be undone once you're dead. Now, another thing I want to point out, the rich man's desire that his brothers should not come was not a redemptive desire. See, some commentators think that there was some good in him. No, it, once you're dead, there's nothing good in you. It's, it's forever torment. His reasons why he didn't want them to come was them coming there added to his torment. That's his reason. Them coming to Hades added, oh, sorry, not Hades, torments added to his torment. It added to his torment. There is nothing redemptive in us once we end up in the place of torment. 
is, is utter darkness, regressive forever. Regressive forever. I remember reading, I think in this book, he mentioned something about a guy who was um, in a plane crash. And as the plane was about to crash, the guy survived it. But to his surprise, the people who were about to die were cursing God. Cursing God as they were about to die. Can you imagine that? You're about to die. And so your last breath that you have, you decide to insult the one you're going to, who's going to judge you. It's called stupidity of the highest order. Prepare yourself properly. You know, God, I never believed in you, but as I'm dying, I pray if you're there, forgive us. You know, God, God. You know, put some kind of insurance in. Hopefully, it might work. But cursing him, what's that going to do for you? It's total foolishness. Say to your neighbor, minus me. Yeah, well. And then the seventh thing I want you to notice is this. The dead are aware of why they are where they are when they die. They know why. The rich man knew the reason why he was there. And that's why he didn't want his brothers to come. Because he knew they were doing exactly what he was doing. Those who end up with the Lord know that it's his grace, not their works, that got them there. There is no righteous act that will qualify you for heaven. There is no righteous act that will show, that will earn you brownie points with God and allow him to open the gates for you. But when you are saved, what will happen is, the righteousness of God in you will begin to show bit by bit. Now, beloved, don't misunderstand me. I am not talking about once you're saved, you're never going to mess up. You're never going to um, play the fool. You're never going to stop. Um, you're never going to do the wrong thing. Otherwise, we will all, let's, this church will have no members. We'll all be, all of us will be out of here. All of us. Say to your neighbor, you include, includes you. Yeah. But there is a difference between the saint who struggles with sin because they are righteous, they're the righteousness of God in Christ, and the saint who is living a lifestyle of sin irrespective of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there's a big difference. So the dead ha have a notion of what they needed to do to avoid where they were coming, but it's too late. And then finally, and this is a point I want you to notice, why Lazarus was righteous and the rich man was not. Our attitude to the word of God will determine our eternal destiny. Our attitude to the word of God determines our eternal destiny. Why do I say that? Because, you see, when he told Abraham to send Lazarus, and by the way, that in itself tells you of his arrogance, you are in the fire of torments, and you are giving orders, even there. Send Lazarus, because even there he didn't respect the man. Even there. Send Lazarus. Not send somebody, you know. That, that poor man that used to sit at my gate. Send him. <laughs> not even asking Lazarus. Not even said, Lazarus, would you mind going? No, no, no. I'm not even talking to you. You, you are still Lazarus. So it's, it's what happens at times. People, they only see you in one, through one lens. Whatever grace God has done in your life, they don't recognize it. You, I know you. I know some of my, my friends in school, when they see me on Facebook, I'm sure they think, ah, who's Joseph? Joe, Joe, he's a liar. Roger is a Christian. Joe is not. That's what they said. They used to tell me, Roger, we know he's a Christian. You, nah. <laughs> God said, well, right. Me, I was the worst of the bunch. So, nah. Roger, yeah, prim and proper. But the point is, this guy was giving orders in 
torments. Yeah. Didn't respect. So don't allow your faith to be shaped by the opinions of others. Don't allow that. Our Lord teaches us through this parable about how important it is that we live our lives with the right priorities. In other words, with God's word as the slide rule. Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He says they won't. But if someone rises from the dead, they will listen. And then Abraham said, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not listen even if someone rose from the dead. They won't. You know, yesterday as I was praying, I asked the Lord, would I have discerned him? I asked the Holy Spirit, would I have discerned Jesus, our Lord, when he walked the earth? If I saw him as a 30-year-old man, would I have discerned that God was talking to me? Or would I have treated him, oh, this small boy, what can you tell? Because after all, I'm quite old now. I'm, I'm older than him by far. I could have born him. 30 years, I could born him. So was he coming to tell me him, he is God? Stop it. I don't know. Would I have said that? Or would I have recognized who he was? I pray you recognize those that God brings your way. Yeah. For who they are. All right. Now, I want to just touch on a few things to conclude about what happens when we die. Now, from this parable, I want you to notice there's a word that is used. He says that when he was in Hades or hell, the King James says hell, he was in torments. And also, he could talk to Lazarus or Abraham who was in paradise. So before Jesus died, when you look at the scriptures, you will find that everybody who died went to hell. Everybody who died went to hell. That got your attention. But in hell, that word hell is a, is a very misunderstood word. The Greek translation that in the King James is translated hell, that everybody refers to as hell, is actually the word Hades. And it speaks of the realm of the undead or the place where the dead go or the realm of the unseen. And so demons negotiate in Hades, in that realm. Angels negotiate in that realm. But when people die, because they're no longer in their physical bodies, they are taken. Before Jesus died, everyone went to Hades. But if they were righteous, they went to a part of Hades called paradise or Abraham's bosom. The reason why they couldn't go to heaven, because they still had the problem of sin. So sin was still in them. And if they had ever tried to enter heaven, sin would have, the, the holiness of God would have destroyed them. So even though they were righteous, because there was a sin problem, they couldn't go to heaven. So there was a place, and it's all in the scriptures, there was a place, and I'm writing a little booklet on this, so once it's out, you can buy it and support missions. So, when, so when, 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 what am I trying to say? So when you died, when you died, I'm thinking about the missions and the money. I mean, when you died, yeah, basically, just so that we're clear, when you buy the book, I don't get the money. It's, it's for the ministry here so that we can help people. So that's why I'm pausing. All right. So when people died, if they were righteous, they went to paradise. So all the saints, 
Samuel, Abraham, Moses, they were all in paradise. Now, if you died and you were not righteous, you went to a place in Hades that is referred to as torment. Torment. And there you were tormented, not by God, not by God, but by Satan and his demons. You were tormented because as an unrighteous person, you, they had a claim over you. So they could do with you as they please. So they tormented you according to how you lived your life. So this rich man, his particular torment was this. He was, not only was he suffering, but he could see what could alleviate him, but he had no alleviation. Why? Because when he was on earth, he saw others suffering, and he did nothing about it. So part of his punishment was to replicate for him Per infinitum, the kind of torment he, his lifestyle, had exhibited whilst on earth. Are you still here? But then there was also another part of Hades, which we don't refer to here, but is referred to later on in the scriptures, called Tartarus. 2 Peter 2 verse 4, I didn't give you that scripture. And it says this, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell. That word hell in the Greek is Tartarus. It's only mentioned once. And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, etc., etc. Basically, what he's saying is that there were certain angels that in Genesis chapter 6 decided to come on earth and take women and sleep with them in order to pollute the genome of humanity, so that the Messiah could not come through a woman. That was their purpose. And when they did this, God arrested them and chained them up in a place in Hades called Tartarus. And there they await the judgment. On the judgment day, they are then set, thrown into the lake of fire with all the unrighteous and Satan and death and so forth. So, that's what was the situation. Before Jesus died, what happened was people died. They either would go to, um, they all went to Hades or hell, but you either go to paradise or you will go to torments. But after Jesus died, something happened. The Bible tells us, and again, there's loads of scriptures for this, and um, I didn't give you all of this, I'm sorry. But the Bible tells us that after Jesus died, he first descended, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on I, sorry, he that ascended is the same one who descended from verse 7. He first descended, then he also ascended. He descended to the lower parts of the earth, Ephesians 4, verse 7. And he led captivity captive. Now, when he descended into Hades, the first thing he did was he went to paradise. Because remember when Jesus died, there was a thief on the cross. And he told the thief on the cross, am I giving the wrong reference? Verse 9, beg your pardon, thank you. Ephesians 4, 9. The thief on the cross, he told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. So when he died, that day, he took the thief to paradise. Then from paradise, the Bible says he descended to the lower parts of the earth. That word lower in the Greek speaks of a certain word, which I'm, see if I can find it. Certain Greek word. 
Katotiros, K-A-T-E-R-O-S, which simply speaks of the lower regions or an inferior place in Hades. And we also know in Peter that he went to Tartarus. So when Jesus died, he went to paradise. Then from paradise, he went to where these spirits were and preached to them. What does that mean? He declared his victory. He didn't preach to them to convert them. He declared his victory. He, he proclaimed. That word preach is caruso, which means to declare your victory. He proclaimed to them that you see what you plan to do. It didn't work. Humanity is redeemed. Then when he finished that, he then went back to paradise and then took everyone in paradise with paradise into heaven. And I want to show you something that is so amazing. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 to 53. This, often people don't see it. People often don't see this. You don't often, see, in fact, I've never seen this in a film, what I'm about to read, but it's in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 27 from verse 50 to 53, when Jesus was on the cross and he was dying, it says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. By the way, that wasn't some small cloth. That thing was thick. And it was, a, it was a supernatural act. But he spoke of the fact that now there's no barrier between mankind and God. And the earth quaked. There was an earthquake. And the rocks were split open. Look at verse 52. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. That happened. The reason why that happened was when Jesus resurrected, he said, come on, guys, let's all go. So when he resurrected, they all resurrected with him, and they all went through Jerusalem and began to tell people Messiah has risen. That is one of the reasons why when the day of Pentecost came and they preached, so many got saved that once God says, seeing all these things happening. By the way, scientists have discovered that the day that Jesus died, there was an eclipse that lasted three hours. There's so many unusual things that happened on the earth. And the eclipse wasn't just in one place. It was on the whole earth. You know, when you don't know the word of God and you don't know the power of God, you say all kinds of foolishness. The Bible has been changed by men. The Bible is not accurate. I don't have time for that. We know the power of God. So, you know, we, we, we don't care about that. But we need to have... We need to know the scriptures, not just the power, but the scriptures. You see. So this is what happened. So when he ascended, he said he led captivity captive. What does that mean? In other words, first of all, he made a public spectacle of Satan and showed everyone, all principalities, powers, that Satan and his demons are defeated. I could give you another vision. Many years ago, as a young Christian, I had a vision. Today we're giving you visions. And in my vision, I was in this place, and I know it was Hades. And I saw Jesus standing there. And loads of dogs lined up. And as they came, they'll be going. And they'll just be going. I didn't know at that time that demons were referred to as dogs. 
Then the last, then the scene changed and the final dog came, looking very ferocious. And he went, Satan. And this dog wasn't having it. He went, and he went, Satan. And the dog wasn't having it. He jumped at the Lord. And I was like, oh. and the Lord just went, Pah. just that. He just did this. Pah. And it went, Bum. and the Lord stepped on it, his neck and walked off. And I was looking at this. Looking at the Lord, looking at this. Look at this. So I thought, you know what? I stepped on Satan's head and ran after Jesus. And I heard, you shall tread upon serpents and scorpions. The young lion and other shall you trample underfoot. Yeah. The point of that vision was to tell me what belongs to every child of God. Because he is defeated, you have defeated him in Christ. Can you say amen? But that is what took place far more than that. That was just a vision. So I actually... I'm not saying that is actually what took place because that's just a vision. But Jesus defeated Satan. He defeated sin and he defeated death by his death and his resurrection. And from that point onwards, every righteous man and woman had access to God. So they had no place in paradise in Hades, but now they had place in the paradise of God in heaven. That's the point. All right, so I conclude, and I conclude with this. When a believer dies, sorry, now when an unbeliever dies, they still go to Hades, a place of torment, waiting for the judgment. Nothing has changed in that sense, except it's worse. They can't see Father Abraham. They can't see anyone. It's outer darkness. But for the believer, when you now die, you are immediately in the presence of God. Philippians chapter 1 verse 23. Paul said this. I am hard pressed between two. Between the two. Having a desire to be with Christ which is far better. I have a desire to be with Christ which is far better. And then he says for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. So now for us as believers when we die we are no longer in Hades we are now in the presence of God. When a believer dies in the Bible, he's referred to as falling asleep. Acts chapter 7 verse 60, when Stephen died, he said he fell asleep. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 um, talks about we will not all sleep, we will all be changed. Those who die in Christ fall asleep. But when he talks about falling asleep, he's not talking about their spirit or their soul falling asleep. He's talking about the fact that physically, to us, the person looks asleep. That's what he's talking about. But their spirit is very much alive. And finally, you'll find in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. In fact, I want to turn to that. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. I want to read this to you about the believers who die during the time of tremendous um, tribulation. Revelation 6, verses what? 9. He says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. The souls. He says, and the souls, verse 10, they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Yeah, 
He says, then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Wow. What I want you to see is that these are the saints who have died. And they want justice for their blood, which has been um, spilt on the earth. And they are not in soul sleep. They are very much aware of what's not happening on the earth. And they asked the question, and they were told, wait, it's for time. Beloved, if you have Christ, then you have the hope that when you die, you are in his presence. But if you do not have Christ, then, beloved, when you die, you will have to give an account of your life before God. And because of the sin problem, your sins would disqualify you from being in the paradise of God. And Satan will still have a claim over your soul until the day of judgment and send you to a place of torment. I want us to pray at this time.